Um, so I'm going to admit to you, um, this passage feels impossible, okay? It feels impossible. As I was studying that, this passage this week, it felt like I was looking up at Mount Everest and you, by looking at me, know I'm never getting up to the top of Mount Everest, right? I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it's not, it's not like I can get there just because I say so. Um, and that's what this passage kind of feels like. Um, I, don't, I don't exactly know <laughs> exactly what to do with this, to be honest with you. I'll confess that. Um, I've really wrestled with this. And so I just hope that uh, Jesus will take it in my, f- in my frailty and my weakness and uh, my lack of understanding um, and will still use it for your good. Um, he- here's the thing. Like, the psalm, this psalm kind of goes in a lot of ways. Like, there are times where David is just at the lowest low, and I can resonate with that. And then he's at the highest highs, and I can't resonate with that very well. And this particular part of the passage is just one of these extremely high moments, and uh, it feels impossible to me. It just does. I, I don't know how somebody can say the things that are said here as a sinner in honesty, and I'm not saying that to say that I think that he's lying, because this is God's word. He speaks through it. He's inspired it. Um, I'm just going to confess, I don't know how this works. Like, it just is hard, because it's so over the top to me, um, and, and just like very, very high up on this mountain that I don't know that I've ever attained. And so, I'll just give you a sense of what this, what I'm talking about, and then what we're going to do today, I think we have to do this, where we go, we start in the New Testament, and then we work our way back, which is not how we normally do it. We normally start with the text in front of us and work our way forward. But to me, I just felt, I just read this passage, and I felt just a weight that I, I, can't, I can't pick up. And, uh, and so that, that's where we have to go. But look at what I'm talking about when We've spent three weeks or so talking about the afflictions we face, the, the dark things we go through, and how Jesus meets us in those things. And I, I can resonate with that. But now when we go to this kind of mountaintop experience, it's, it's actually, to me, it's harder. Um, it's harder. And so let's, let me just show you what I'm seeing here. Starting in verse 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So there what he's saying is, is this, right? It's like he's saying, I think about your word all day. I, I don't. And I get paid to think about God's word and I don't think about it all day, right? You don't either. I know you don't. And that's not a judgment. That's just a fact. Like this feels like, how can he say that? My meditation all the day. Could I say that? Most of us probably think about God's word some of the day, yeah. Maybe a little bit every day, sure. We, we might be able to get there. But this over the top, all the day is like, wow, I, I don't think I can say that in honesty. I don't think I could say that. And then he goes even further in. He looks, look at verse 98 uh, through 
100. He says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged or the elderly, for I capture, for I keep your precepts. So think about what he's saying there. David or the psalmist here, we, we think it's King David who wrote this over the course of time. The, the psalm is structured like an acrostic. It's, it's, it's intentional. It's not off the cuff. He worked on this throughout much of his life probably. But what he's saying in these verses is this, I am wiser or I'm smarter than everyone around me. I'm not. I'm not even the smartest guy in the room. Not even close. Uh, and yet, King David is going, I, I'm, I'm wiser than my enemies. Now, I, I would agree with that, right? Like, I always think I'm smarter than my enemies. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, of course, those guys, they're dumb. But, but then he goes to say, I'm smarter than or wiser than all of my teachers. So again, it's like, I've had a lot of teachers in my life and they know a lot more than I do. I can't say that I have more understanding than all of my teachers. And then he says more than the aged or those who have lived longer than me. I, again, again, I can't say that. I, don't, I can't. I, th- it's just hard. Like it's, I'm reading this and going, I'm not smarter than everyone around me. Not even close. So I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. And, and then we, we go even, this is the hardest thing of all. It's just like he keeps doubling down and he goes in verse 101 to 104. We'll read that, that section here. Listen to what he says. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, in the first two verses we read of those four, um, what he says, I mean, let's just look at it again. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. And I do not turn aside from your rules. Again, this is really over-the-top language, right? And he, he's essentially saying, if you just look at it on its surface, he's saying, I don't stumble and I don't wander from the Lord's commandments. I do. Don't you? So that's why I'm saying this is like really out there, really up there, and, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I just don't. So we're going to do our best, okay? Um, and I think just as, as I thought about this, I think it's so helpful to, to not preach it like, okay, that's, that's the standard and you just have to do it. Just get better at it. Just figure it out. If I told you that, that's the easy way to preach this, right? That's the, that's the most clear way to preach it if you just want to take it for what it's worth. It's like David says, this is how he is. And if you don't measure up to that, then something's wrong with you and you just need to get your act together. That is going to crush you, and it's going to crush me. So let's work our way backwards. Let's start today with the good news of the gospel. And I think the Apostle Paul gets us 
to what we need to see, and then we can work our way back from there. Okay, so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, I think these verses will be helpful for us. Um, I also think that Psalm 119, these verses in front of us, have some really helpful principles for us to look at. And we're going to look at them. But we have to have uh, our, our mentality in the right place. We have to have the right framework for us to look at this. Otherwise, it just becomes pure legalism. It just becomes pure do better, do more, you know, crush yourself under the weight of expectations. And, and I think we've just got to recognize that that's not where our obedience and our love for Jesus ought to flow. It ought to start with the gospel. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 1. We'll start in verse 26. Now, leading up to this, Paul is starting with the cross. And he's saying that the cross of Christ is foolishness to a world that values wisdom. And and he's talking about how it is actually the cross, this folly, this foolishness of the cross that we preach is the very power of God to save. So that's the context. Now, in verse 26, he turns to the Corinthians themselves. And he calls them to think about something. He says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Consider your calling. So your calling, meaning Jesus' work to get you to him. Okay, He's called you. You've responded. If you're a Christian, that has happened at some point in your life. So consider that. And then he says this, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. And not many were of noble birth. So he says here, here's these three categories. And I think we see at least two of these three categories in the passage in front of us in Psalm 119. Uh, But the third one might be a little bit of a stretch in that text, but the other two are, are clearly there. And here's what he says. He gives the category of wisdom. And that's clearly in that text. I'm, I have more understanding than all my teachers, right? That, that's wisdom. He says, so it's not your wisdom. And then he says power. Not many of you were powerful. So strength. It's not... It's not your strength. And then noble birth, meaning um, basically think about like, well, I, where my mind goes, so right now I'm, wa- I'm watching through Downton Abbey again. Um, and if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, you know the whole thing is about this uh, aristocratic society and these people are important, not because they do anything important, but because they have this title, this title that just makes them important. Right? And so uh, you have that noble birth, this idea of influence, of importance based off of your lineage. And Paul says, not many of you were wise, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth. But, verse 27, 
God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul's saying, listen, you guys think about your own calling. You weren't the wisest person in the world. You weren't the strongest person in the world. And you weren't uh, the most influential person in the world. And yet God chose you to be his, not, not because of those things, but because of his mercy and the fact that he wants to display his wisdom and his power and his influence and, and all the things that he should get the credit for. So he chooses people that are not those things. And that is wonderful news. Because none of us can stand before the Lord and boast. There's not a single person in the world who can stand before the Lord and say, you chose me because I bring something to the team. You're not brought to Jesus because of your smarts. You're not brought to Jesus because of your strength. You're not brought to Jesus because of some influential ability to get other people onto the team. He doesn't need us for anything, but he wants us even in our frailty and our weakness. And this is where verse 30 gets us to, right? He says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So you're in Christ Jesus, not because you're wise, not because you're strong, not because you're influential, but because of him, because of God himself working in you. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then Paul continues, if we look at verse 1 of chapter 2, and again, there were, Paul didn't write these in chapter and verse form. We added those later on. And so this is just flowing right out of this. I know we have the chapter break, but it doesn't need to break there. It's just a continuation. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. And my speech was my message, uh, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith, catch this, so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we've got to get this. We got to get this. We have to stop looking for the solutions to our problems in ourselves. You cannot solve your problems. Jesus can, though. 
Jesus didn't bring you to him because you were smart enough or strong enough or influential enough. He saved you because he loves you. And I think we need to get that into our hearts and minds right out of the gate here. Because if we read Psalm 119 through that lens, then we can start to really see what, what we can do with this. We need to recognize that the, the psalm, we can go back to Psalm 119. We'll, we'll be here for, the, for a bit. Um, David is writing historically at a time when he didn't have the fullness of God's revelation. He didn't have all of the scriptures. He actually probably only had the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses. And he may have had a couple you know, books after that, maybe Joshua and Judges were, were available to him as well. But after you get past Judges, you're pretty much in like David's lifetime, right? And so the, the mo- most of that section of the Old Testament, almost all of the historical books are either during David's life or after David dies. And so he's working off a very limited, although enough for, for him to hear from the Spirit and know what Jesus, uh, what, what the Messiah, he didn't know names, right? He didn't know all the fullness of it, but he knew enough to, to be in Christ, and um, that's good. But he's working off a limited information. We're, we're not, thankfully. We actually have the full fullness of God's revelation. So as we um, get back to this Old Testament psalm, I want us to look at this through that lens of 1 Corinthians 1 and the first part of 2 because we have to recognize that it's not, as we read this, it's not about us climbing the mountain, proving our intelligence or proving our power or proving our influence that gets us to Jesus. But when we know that we're in Jesus, the things that are said here can actually help us love him more, and walk with him more. So let's just go back to verse 97. And it says this, Oh, how I love your law. Now, as a guy who uh, is a gospel guy, that, that really makes me bristle, right? It just, <laughs> it does. Like, I don't like, I don't want to say I love the law. Because the law, you know, it shows us our sin. It shows us the holiness of God, but it doesn't, get us to the good news. That's why the gospel has to enter in. Um, but the word law here in the, in the context of Psalm 119 really is just like God's word, what God says about himself. And David's working off of what he has, right? He's, he's got the law. And that was beautiful and good and pointed him to his savior in the limited way that it could. And so simply what he's saying here is this, I love how God has spoken to me. Now, I, I can't say that perfectly or all the time. But I hope that we're growing in this. I hope that we actually do love Jesus as he's revealed to us through his word. And I hope that as we continue to walk with Jesus, we love him more and more. Do we actually love the good news 
of the gospel? Do we love the good news that Jesus saves us through his perfect life and his death on the cross and the resurrection? Do we love that good news? I do, but I don't do it perfectly. I don't love it fully all the time. But again, I think we've got to be careful not to hold ourselves to impossible standards because Christ is the standard. See, I I can't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength in myself, but Jesus did, and he stands in my place. And the love he had perfectly for God applies to me. That's good news. In fact, all the things that we're seeing, if we see them through the lens of Jesus doing these things for us in perfection, we, we can actually find growth and hope and help as we walk in life. We should grow in our love for him and his word. And we know that he's ultimately the one who perfectly loved the law and obeyed it in his life. It says it's my meditation all the day. All the day might be a stretch, but I hope we're growing in our meditation of God's word and the character of Christ and the ministry that he has for us. Are your minds being drawn to Jesus and what he has done for you. That's what, it, that's what meditation means. It's, it's this issue of having your minds drawn in and thinking about him and what he's done. And I, I get it, like it's, it's not something we're going to be able to do perfectly, but growing in that through Jesus is what our, is what our aim should be, right? That's what we should be shooting for. Are we seeing progress in that? Are our minds being drawn in? And here's what I mean by that. I want to be clear on meditation. Um, That word kind of throws us off because of how it's often used in our day and age. Um, When you think about meditation, and what most people mean by meditation is that you are emptying your mind and then turning yourself inward to look at yourself. That's what mindfulness is supposed to be about. It's like, well, turning my mind into me. And biblical meditation is the exact opposite of that. It's not emptying our minds. It's filling our minds, but not with thoughts of ourselves, but with thoughts of Christ. And here's just really practically how we should do that. As we open our Bibles, as we study our Bibles, as we read it, our, our minds should be drawn to this reality. This book is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about what we should be doing. We read it that way. And yes, we have things that we need from it. And yes, there are things that we learn in it and applied to our lives. Yes, that is true. But fundamentally, the Bible is not about you. It's about God and what he has done for us in Jesus. And so here's just a real practical thing as you read your Bible. The thoughts, the meditations of your heart as you read your Bible should be, what does this tell me about Jesus? That should be the first question. Not what does this tell me about me and what I should be doing. 
You can get there. You can get there. That's not wrong to get there, but that's not primary. Primarily, we have to ask, how does Jesus shine through in this? That's true if you're reading Leviticus, as it's true if you're reading Romans. Now, Romans is much easier to get to Jesus than Leviticus sometimes, right? But, but nonetheless, every book of the Bible, everything we're looking at should be drawing our minds to Jesus and filling our minds with him and not just looking at ourselves. When we're so self-absorbed and consumed with me, 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 then, then we start to really lose our way. And so far to date, I don't think that's worked for any of you anyways, right? It doesn't help to just be self-absorbed. But if we can see the word of God as primarily a book about the work of God truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we start to make progress. So that meditation should be where we grow in. But meditation is filling our minds with, with God and thoughts of him. Now, when we start to get into the passage about more understanding and wisdom, um, again, I, I said at the beginning of this, this is hard when you look at this just through the lens of me, right? Because I'm never going to live up to this. But when we look at it through the lens of Christ, we actually start to see some beautiful things. And I don't know what David meant by these words originally. I don't know what was exactly in his mind as he wrote these words. But we can still nonetheless apply them to Christ because that's what Jesus says we should do. Everything in the Old Testament is about him. He talks about that on the, way to, uh, on the road to Emmaus with his disciples after the resurrection. But look at what it says, verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Right? We see this truly fulfilled in Jesus as the only man who is absolutely perfectly wise. We see him as a 12-year-old boy in the temple teaching the teachers, as a 12-year-old. That's impressive. And then he gets to adulthood. He's, a, he's as a 30-year-old. He's on the scene, and everywhere he goes, he stumps the Pharisees. And every time the Pharisees ask him a, a trick question to try to trap him in something, he gets his way out of it because he's just so much better on his feet than they are. It's a, it's a marvel to read the Gospels and just look at how Jesus can just thread this needle <laughs> with the Pharisees. It's just incredible. I love it. Because he's wise. He's the true wisdom. This is what 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, that he became to us wisdom from God. So our wisdom is him, himself. He became, he embodied wisdom. And so it's not our wisdom we don't read this and go, look at how I need to become smarter than all my teachers or I need to be the smartest person in the room. Jesus frees us from that. And oftentimes our need to be the smartest person in the room does not flow from anything but insecurity. And if we're not secure in Jesus, we're always gonna feel like we have to be better than everyone else. 
But when we know that Jesus is actually the smartest person in any room all the time, then we are freed from being the smartest person in the room. And we can be humble and say, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to think about that. We can be real about that and we don't have to try to boast and brag and, and, and put, on the, put on the show of display because Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus embodies it and by his spirit, he imparts to us the wisdom we need as we ask for it. That's what the book of James tells us. But we... We can't just look at ourselves in this. We have to look at how Jesus fulfills our wisdom for us. Look at the next set of verses, right? 101 uh, to 104, but particularly 101 and 102. It says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. Um, That can't apply to me. And it can't apply to you because it's not true. It's not true of us. We're, we do turn aside. We don't always hold our feet back from every evil way. We might be making progress in some evil ways to hold our feet back, but that's not because of our strength. See, this is where we start to hit on the issue of strength, which Paul said, you weren't powerful when Jesus called you. And it wasn't because of your power that Jesus called you. He called you to shame the strong, to prove to those who think they're strong that Jesus is actually the strong one. And I think these verses are absolutely true. I know they're absolutely true of of Jesus. I can't say they're true of me. I don't think they're true of you. But they are absolutely 100% true of Jesus. He did keep his feet back from every evil way. Jesus never sinned. He lived the perfect human life under a standard of rules that we could never keep no matter how hard we try. Jesus kept them all perfectly. He kept his feedback. He never turned aside from God's rules. In his earthly life, he lived. Now, there are some instances where he seemingly broke the law, particularly of the Sabbath, Right? And we, we can read that and go, well, he broke the Sabbath. He, he didn't break the Sabbath. He broke the interpretation of how to keep the Sabbath that the elders of his day were placing on people. And Jesus tells them, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? He means the Sabbath was here to help us. We're not here to help the Sabbath. So again, that, that's a kind of an issue that comes up and some people will point that out and go, well, he broke the Sabbath. He did not break the Sabbath, but he did break the interpretation of the Sabbath that the Pharisees and the scribes of his day had. He lived a perfect life. He displayed his strength in that way. And listen, it's his strength, not ours, that we lean into. And we can start to find Jesus working in us, changing our lives because he himself is our sanctification. That's what Second, or First Corinthians 1 says, right? His, he's our sanctification. He became to us wisdom from God and redemption and sanctification. 
Sanctification is a fancy word, but it means being made like Jesus. It's, it, that's what it means. It just means progress in holiness, progress in, in the, the life that Christ has for us. And that is what he is for us. He's our sanctification. And it's his strength that empowers us to grow. So hopefully we do start to see progress in this, right? Hopefully we start to see ourselves actually making headway on the things that, have normally, that normally we would run to. But if you're thinking that that's because you are so willpowered or because you are so strong or because you are so spiritual, you're on very dangerous ground. You're on shifting sand. We can see the change in our lives through Jesus because he is our strength and he, his power is what works in us. Now, we got to get to this second section. We're not looking very much at it just for the sake of time. And all God's people said amen. But um, we, are <laughs> we are looking at just verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. One of my favorite verses, I love it. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This might be a little bit of a stretch here, okay? A little bit of a stretch. But when you're thinking about the, the categories Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1 of wisdom, of strength, and of influence, he, here's where I think, I don't think that this is exact one-to-one correlation, but I think it's helpful for us to notice that we're not the light. You don't have to shine in every room you walk into. You don't have to have the spotlight on you. You don't. Why? Because Jesus is the true light. He's the true word. In, in fact, we see this connected in John chapter 1, and I think it's worth looking at briefly here. Just... John chapter 1 connects Jesus to both the Word. So your Word is a lamp unto my feet. Well, Jesus himself is the Word. The Word of God personified, brought into human form. And it says at the very beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Then look at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when the Old Testament tells us that God's word is our light, that's true. But that's just a shadow of what would be true in Jesus. That Jesus is the true light we need. That he's the one that should shine forth in every room we're in. That he's the one who, who has his influence and his power and his ability to break through darkness and bring others to him. And I thought about this just, a, just this past week or two. We, 
Uh, some of you might have also had this experience. We had some thunderstorms come through and uh, power got knocked out, at least by my house. Uh, we, our power was out for a good day-ish, day and a half. Um, and I, I, when the power first went out, it was right about midnight. How spooky is that, right? Right at midnight, uh, power goes out and it, you know, it's pitch black, just as black as black can be. Because when the power is out, there's no ambient light. You're used to a little bit of ambient light, you know, your alarm clock or your microwave or something. Nothing, right? Pitch black darkness. And so what, I, what did I do? I had to go, well, you know, I wanted to get the generator fired up and keep the fridge running and all that good stuff. And so I thought, okay, I'll get out and do that. And I just fumbled around and I found my phone. And just turning on my phone, just the little screen on my phone, helped a little bit. It helped a little. Can't say it helped a lot, but it helped some. And then I turned the flashlight on on my phone, and that helped a little bit more. But I don't think we're, anybody's going to be just living under that light. That's a very limited source of light. It can get you going without tripping on my kids' toys or stepping on the Legos and all the stuff, right? That, that's good, but it's not going to light up my home. So I got everything going and then I went back to bed and kind of slept. You know, you don't really ever sleep really deeply after something like that. But I, I woke up at about 5, 5.30 in the morning and something was different when I opened my eyes. I could see. What, was, what changed? Did the power come back on? Nope. But the sun had come up, right? And the sun starts to come through the windows. And now I don't need my cell phone to get, get around my house. See, we got to understand that the law, the Old Testament is like a flashlight. It shows us something. It helps in a way. But the gospel is the morning sun that lights up the world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate light we need. He is the one that we should lean on as our hope and our help, that he can guide our path, not just in a very limited sense of what the, the beam of the flashlight can hit, but to light up the whole world around us that we can truly see and truly be changed and have what we need. That's found in Jesus. And yes, we know Jesus through his word. We need to read the word. We need to know him by how he's spoken to us in the Bible. Listen, I love you all. And I just want us to move forward in this. We need to stop looking in ourselves for solutions. We need to stop counting on our smarts or our strength or our influence. We need instead to depend, depend on the light of the world to shine into our lives. And as he does, he shows us his wisdom his power, and his greatness. And that's what's going to change our lives. And that's what's going to help us move forward. I know this sermon was maybe a little different than you're used to. It's just a little bit of my just thinking through things and not knowing how to handle that text very well. So I apologize if I didn't preach it well, but I love you all. I hope this is helpful. It's how God has ministered to my heart this week through it. Um, and so with all that said, let me pray and we'll, we'll move on from there. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent to us the light of life that breaks through the darkness 
that shows us how to live. And God, I just pray for my own heart right now that you would help me to stop depending on myself. That I truly would depend on you for my wisdom and strength and influence. That you would get all the glory in those things. I pray that for each person in this room as well. And I pray that you would take your word and do with it what needs to be done in our lives. Lord, we love you. We want to help people love you. We know we love you because you loved us. Help us to rest in that today. Your love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.